0: Doing Welcome back to Hamster with a Blunt Penknife with your host, Stephen, from New to Who, and... Joe! Oh my
1: God, you're way better at this than me, honestly. <laughs> Do you want a job? <laughs> it's no, unpaid, I but... Um, <laughs> sorry about that. I can pay you in Doctor Who merchandise. Um, Stephen, why are we here today?
0: We are here to watch and commentate on The Invasion, one of the great uh, stories of the 1960s, and I think the greatest Patrick Troughton story, uh, just on a personal level. We're up to episode two. So we have just had uh, the introduction of Vaughan uh, uh, to, uh, to us, and I think he might be in league with the Cybermen
1: or an incredibly elaborate Meccano set <laughs> yes. the, the that he hides tall. in the
0: closet because it's a, it's a secret shame of his we, uh,
1: we've all got things like that in the closet honestly <laughs> um, in fact uh, you know what my closet was my embarrassing thing when I was younger because I used to reenact the end of um, Revelation of the Daleks episode 1 you know when the, the statue falls on I used to use my closet for that and be going that's a you and then I used to throw the closet on myself.
0: <laughs> I've, I've heard you tell this story before, but it's yeah. no more credible the, the more that you repeat it. Uh, Who does that, Joe? I know, unfortunately, it's true as well. That's the worst part. <laughs> How Did you get out from under the cupboard once it had fallen on you and repeatedly? Oh, right? no,
1: I didn't, let it, I didn't like let it collapse on my head or anything. Like I, w- I would hold it, but it would, you yeah, know, you know. I was young, you know, <laughs> I was a very devoted fan, okay?
0: Yeah, sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean last week I reenacted dimensions in time, so I'm still at it, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, Yes,
0: yeah, um, you well. are.
1: <laughs> what can I say? Um I was I want to introduce you to a new concept before we get into episode mm-hmm. two. It's called existing episodes of Doctor Who. And the concept wow. is this: pictures move nice. and their sound. Yeah, it's amazing. No. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm gonna take that in.
0: Wow, well, after try? the
1: stylish animation of episode one, it may be a bit of a stretch, but we'll give it a go.
0: Okay, okay. all right. I'm unconvinced, but let's, let's give it a
1: go. I'm gonna, I'm so, gonna count you in this time.
0: Okay, okay. So in five,
1: four, three, two, one, let's go. Do you think that uh, Patrick Trout looks very sinister in this tile sequence?
0: No, I think he looks quite like the cosmic uh, hobo that he was always described as in those elusive tomes like the making of Doctor Who uh, that I read uh, years before I actually got to see any um, surviving footage of, of Troughton. So, no, I don't, I don't think he looks uh, sinister at all. I think mm-hmm. he looks like a kindly old uncle. Mercurial? Mercurial, yeah. that's That's definitely a word to describe him. Now, yeah. I just
1: said that word, but I don't actually know what it means.
0: <laughs> I
1: do this quite well, a lot on Hamster and Bumphead Life, you know <laughs> I, Well, I think,
0: I think there's an element of um, the literal around it So, so Mercurial in the sense uh, of Mercury, uh, the, the element But also the god, uh, also known as Hermes in the Greek um, I think there's that, that sort of wandering uh, you know, aspect of the Doctor's character That's obviously what the show is all about but Mercurial, in the sense that he's always changing as well. Uh, he's, he's, we don't know what um, he'll sort of, what properties he has in full, but also um, a, as a liquid metal, he's able to take on other forms, which is obviously what happens in regeneration. So I think it's a quite apt word to describe the doctor. But Trout in particular, yes, Mercurial is a great word to use. Do
1: you know what? The last 90 seconds is precisely why you podcast, you know, okay? Honestly. <laughs> You're <laughs> incredible. You are incredible. Um, did you notice the handheld camera work there um, that was being done when Jamie and yeah. the Doctor were being pursued? That's, that's unusual in the 60s.
0: Um, How's that done on film in the 60s? I want to know. I mean, they were big cameras as well. Yeah, exactly.
1: I think there's some poor cameraman, like, juggling this enormous behemoth of a camera. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's got, like, they- three guys him, trying to support. You know
1: how it's a bit skewiff, Maybe that's just because it's so bloody heavy. It's like I can't <laughs> wait. Um, and I, I don't know if you noticed that that was um, John Levine
0: in the car pursuing I him. Definitely did notice John Levine there. Yeah.
1: I've, I've got another question for you then, and that is: How on earth did John Levine go from being this fabulous undercover sexy agent to being <laughs> naked in a nappy in the Time Monster? <laughs> Yeah, I still don't
0: know that one myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at these two. Look at these two. There is I one can... thing about n-
1: animation. You cannot replicate Troughton's facial performance in animation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But the other thing that you can't replicate is what did he actually get up to on screen? Like, there's a moment that's <laughs> coming up where right now, I think it is. They'll sit down in the gutter and start playing cards. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's not <laughs> sort uh, that, you know, it wouldn't be um, it, it documented anywhere, and I just wonder how many more of these little grace notes <laughs> look at him like a child staring, smiling up at his uh, there's um, the unit.
1: there's a line in a minute, and I swear it's outlived by Trout, and where he's like, Um, would you want a cup of tea? and he goes, Yes, and a a cake biscuit. <laughs> I swear <laughs> that's
0: Trout, I bet I won't <laughs> in the
1: script I'm sure accounts- it's ad-libbed. Didn't Barry Let's say in the Three Doctors that Troughton would give an approximation of the script, just whatever kind of came naturally to him. Like I'm sure he 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 was more on script than people say, because otherwise the scene doesn't make sense. But sure. by all accounts it drove John Pertwee mad. It was word perfect.
0: Yeah, two very different styles of acting there and 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 personalities to go with it as well. Um and again, the Mercurial second doctor. Like I can imagine Troughton just doing it uh, as naturalistic as possible because that was the type of actor that he was, um, whereas Pertwee perhaps wasn't quite as confident in his acting yeah. abilities. he said that a few times and he sort of masks that with his very sort of, well, his rigid approach perhaps yeah. to acting.
1: I mean, you said the word fluid a minute ago, and I think Troughton's acting is very fluid. I, he's very adaptable to the scene, you know?
0: Mm. Yeah, and I think we were talking about this when (coughs) we spoke about the moon base as well. One of his qualities is that he's able to sort of blend into the background and and be unnoticed, and that's a lot about his physical um, uh, performance as well. You know, he's a a short little man dressed as a bit of a hobo. He can sort of get lost as opposed to someone like Pertwee who, you know, like a bright light bulb, is is very much unmistakable. You can't miss him, can you?
1: Um, I <clears throat> I also think that Trouton has the Tom Baker ability of not playing the lines as written. Like he gives them a new spin. There's a line in this uh, later on where he goes, "Oh, oh, you're a fool, Vaughan. and he says it in a really playful, really fun way. Whereas any, <laughs> any other actor would be like, "You're a fool, Vaughn," you know, the, like playing sure. drama. And I like yeah. that because I I call it dangerous acting because you never quite know how what he's going to deliver but it's really exciting to watch. Mm. So here we are inside like an enormous aircraft, is it? Spy aircraft?
0: Yeah, which they use again in um, the Capaldi-Zygon uh, two-parter, don't they? We, they we sort of bring that back unit as a, as a mobile um, task force in a very kind of, again, Thunderbirds way. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of like the idea. It wouldn't have been wonderful if Unit's headquarters during Perwey's era was also <laughs> uh, 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 the back of a plane like this and they just sort of zoomed around the world fighting yeah. aliens. That yeah,
1: the map cool. that building that kept shifting locations every episode.
0: Yeah, I've got theories about that, see, so, because oh, I'm a Doctor no. Who nerd, I, I like to think that Ladies. in... Um, Series season seven and eight, that it's sort of the back end of St. Pancras station, but then they kind of move to, um, you know, the, the home counties at some point in, in season nine, um, but that they're both kind of, you know, HQs. It just depends on where the, the location is required. I don't know if you noticed, but in season 11, that
1: a to relocate to a school because in season 10, the building ended up in the Antioch universe. <laughs> I don't, I don't recall that, that building ever coming back, you know.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah.
1: I wonder how they explain that. Oh, They sure just didn't, did they? Can we just have a moment here, just uh, for me here, just for how incredibly dashing Nicholas Courtney is. Like, there is, a, there is a leading man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's that twinkle in the eye that, you know, Moffat has said many times, defines the character he's so arch and uh, and playful and he can't quite um take the doctor seriously can he still you know making a nonsense of, nonsense of it in your tardis all that kind of stuff
1: i mean if you are um, if you'll forgive me a tom baker impression um he's, uh, nicholas courtney he has he has the same sort of quality as arthur lowe you know, there's sort of, they, he, he's the funniest man in the room and he doesn't even realise it. Like, like, he delivers, <laughs> apparently by all accounts, he had no clue how hilarious, but he delivers those lines so straight, like, so so seriously. And yet he's so mm. funny.
0: Yeah.
1: And, or and or he, did he? He's just, did, did he know? Like, really? I,
0: I think deep down he probably did know. Um, and, and a lot of that's probably due to the fact that his comic timing is so superb in so many scenes, um, and I'm going to sort of ignore things like The Three Doctors where he just comes across as a massive idiot. Um, he's <laughs> still funny, though. I still think he's hilarious in The Three <laughs> Yeah, yeah. With the material that he's given, he still sort of shows that, that comedic ability. But it's just fantastic that he becomes essentially the Doctor's best friend for yeah. you know, quite a a number of years. He's such an important character for us. The the scene in um,
1: Planet of the Daleks is the one. The Planet of Daleks, Planet of the Spiders, that gets me. You kind of see him here, and they're just building a relationship. And then the bit where he's got the watch out, um, and the doctor oh, yes. looks him and goes a bit, a bit too much, eh, Alistair? You know, and it's like, wow, <laughs> they've they've come a long way, this pair. But even yeah. in comparison to him and Pertwee in season series seven season seven um where it's very acerbic isn't it and there's a lot of tension between the two of them
0: Mm. i mean that's i mean it's not going to help the fact that the brigadier murders all those silurians and i I don't think that's really properly sort of um played out afterwards it's sort of forgotten when Mm -hmm. it should be a a real source of further tension between them but it's also um on the doctor's part you know the, the, the third doctor is is the character that goes through his own arc and that sort of acerbic nature that you mentioned starts to wear off as rather beautifully he's the exile who finds a home in his place of exile, which I think is just such a, a touching, lovely way of, of, of taking that character forward. But here we are at the beginning, uh, I guess, and it's so and Isabel. How good are these two? Oh, uh, and this word. is the alcohol scene, isn't scenes. Yeah. It? <laughs> and it's, it's Zoe
1: doing the complete opposite of what she would have done in the wheel in space, which is rely on technology and, and be a mm. slave to it. And now she's having fun with it. And well, she's torturing it essentially, isn't she?
0: Yes. I Love think she's learned that lesson that, that the doctor sort of states early on. I think it is in wheel in space. Logic is, sim- you know, simply allows us to be wrong with authority or something along those lines.
1: Don't tell me you haven't used that line because I have. Oh, I'm sure I have at certain points. Stephen, people think I'm devastatingly witty, and yet I'm just <laughs> quoting Doctor Who lines all the time. It's amazing. I use the That's one what about makes um, you witty,
0: Joe. What is all it? All of like, those decades spent imbibing this show and all of its, uh, you know, lore and, and and wonderful wit. Do you know the That's one I on use you. the most? You know, In the inverse.
1: You're the classic example of the inverse ratio between the size of the mouth <laughs> and the size. And people just look at me like, have I just been insulted? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes you have yes mate you have <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh look at this bear hey, like, is that you being Isabel again Wack- no, not <laughs> Isabel Watkins no not Isabel Watkins would absolutely appear in an Avengers episode wouldn't she that kind of swinging 60s girl
0: yeah she'd be at one of those sort of all night parties uh, with Mrs Peel in a there's, mansion somewhere or a very nice flat in Kensington. There's a fabulous episode called De-
1: I think it's Dead Man's Treasure, where they're all going on a, on a yes. hunt in cars. And there's a yes. character just like her who's like, oh, hey, off well, we go in the car, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> see this plays out very spy thriller now. Yeah, you know, we've got this CCTV footage of this fella yeah. who went into the building yeah. and he was never seen again.
0: Yep. All, all sort of um, played out over maps of London and all of that kind. of. Oh, it's just, like, how could you not love this? There is so, so many um, just wonderful examples of, of pop culture that are thrown in. And, again, we were talking <clears throat> um, off Mark earlier. It really benefits for the fact that it's set in an identifiable location, which is, you know, contemporary or then contemporary yeah. London, um, which we have not too much of. And, and this is you know obviously a blueprint for unit and beyond, but it's also a bit of an aberration or a standalone in the sense that we never get this story or the feel of this story ever again. Um, Certainly the close... scale. I don't think you get the scale yeah. of this. Yeah. Um, but even in, in season seven, where we have um, uh, a lot of spy-fi um, kind of stories and ambassadors, death is the one that I think of most. And I, I do love it, but the tone is different. It's a lot grimmer and darker. It's, it's the kind of spy-fire film that um, you know, maybe is more Chris file than it is, you know, the Avengers, perhaps. Yeah.
1: What what I find really interesting is Pertwee leans into the sort of James Bond role, whereas Trout mm-hmm. and pushes against it. So in a minute, like he's he's so irreverent and he's going, you know, oh prepare this. And he goes, What is that? Is that a tank?
0: Like, you know what I mean? It's <laughs>
1: like he's 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 in the genre, but he's not playing like the obvious
0: role. No, it? you're right, and it's, because he's got the brigadier to do that for him, mm. so he can be that outsider. He can be that sort of mercurial tramp that sits outside and uh, um, perhaps sort of affects the the story in in a different way, whereas <laughs> whereas Pert very straight and becomes the yeah. the action hero. Um, later on crap. when
1: Trouton goes down into the sewers do you remember he goes down to the sewers with um, like a and he looks really scared he's like hello <laughs> <laughs> but that's one thing I love about Troughton's doctor which you don't really get after this not often enough anyway is that he will show that he's properly scared so I'm always fearful for, I'm like oh no don't hurt him <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, and also he, he loves a sandwich as well, so I can buy for
0: that. He too. does. This is a lovely scene. You can't lose the wall. Um, oh, but yeah. the other thing about, the other thing that <laughs> they are eating a sandwich that they've just found. Um, yeah, the other thing I think I think about Trouten is that he plays the fool. He's, he's not um, necessarily scared or he's not necessarily out of his depth, but he does like to give the impression that he is so that he can uh, be left alone. To, you know to do his thing and, and and really sort of come up trumps at the end of it all he's a lot uh, smarter and a lot more sophisticated than perhaps he that's on
1: do you think because he does he has quite a heavy role in the first couple of episodes but in the middle episodes of this there's a few episodes where he's in only one or two scenes do you think Ooh. that they added in all these extra elements unit the brigadier blah blah to give him a bit of a rest? Isabel Watkins, Uh, there's a
0: lot happening around him in this. Yeah, I I mean, obviously at some point, you know, he's taking holidays and that happens a number of times throughout the the season because, you know, they're shooting 44 episodes a year. So it's it's only um, right and manageable that they're allowed to do that. But the way that it's done is you think about, okay, this is eight episodes, okay, it's a little bit longer than, say, The Space Pirates, but while The Space Pirates seems interminable because um, there isn't, all that much going on it's also because the characters aren't, aren't you as know fun. Aren't yeah. anywhere near as fun or engaging i mean you need me to quote marlo clancy again to tell you how fun the <laughs> space poros is i don't think anyone needs that but you know, <laughs> with those characters like the cardboard cutouts um that <clears throat> yeah really that aren't really engaging whereas these characters can be cardboard cutouts and you know, we're looking at packer here <clears throat> oh that, you know we you haven't even start. touched on Backer, have we? No, we'll get we'll get to him. Oh um, man, he's a great character. It, it's because the the, the <laughs> characterization is we're allowed to sort of sit with them. So you know we have the that conversation much later on with with um, Captain. Is it? Oh, I forget his name, Jimmy. Um, Jimmy. And, and Isabel. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and you know, are, are you are you stinking rich? <laughs> like that kind of that kind of uh, chance in an eight episode story to spend you know, a handful of minutes with the characters and, and having them yeah. engage in nothing more than just, you know, character development. <clears throat> yeah. I think it really benefits the story. I mean,
1: just just look at that, that angle alone there, looking up camp at the, that, very dramatic. Yeah. <clears throat> He's always finding ways to make this story or any story he directs visually interesting. Now... That's camp- Right. Now I know absolutely. you'd think, well, that's abs- that's the director's job, you know. They should absolutely be doing that. <clears throat> you compare him to some of his contemporaries, correct?
0: And they're not doing he's the same thing, the yeah. No, he's much, much, much ahead of the game. Um, there's a, there's this wonderful
1: story where uh, Terence Dix tells, where he's like, you know, that the, the uh, Douglas Cantwell was in the BBC canteen with his head in his hands, like lamenting his career, and Terence Dix goes, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Take it with a pinch of salt because, you know, a terroristic story. Terrence, but, yes. Yeah. But he goes, like, well, you know, what's up, Dougie? Well, that. And Douglas Gavin feels like, you know, oh, I want to be this, like, fantastic, arty director. And, and you know, I, I keep getting all this work as, you know, as an action director. And he sat down yeah. he's like, Dougie, it's a fine thing to be an action director. He goes, and you'll never be out of work.
0: <laughs> and it's true. He never was, was he? I mean, he was always working. Yeah. <laughs> right, he's my- classic Doctor Who director. And I think the reason for that is you know, all of the things that you've said in terms of his innovative style and, and dramatic sort of um, uh, framing. But he's treating this like a movie. Yes. He's shooting this in a way that is um, using that filmic language that is so different to the sort of, you know, uh, BBC Lime Grove, Studio D, you know, three cameras, very sort of flat direction. And he can afford to because he's on camera, uh, on um. Uh, location there with with films and, and and whatever else but it's also just inherent in the way that he um, shoots any other doctor who whether it's uh, on location or in the studio you know you've talked about the web of fear um recently on 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 hamster and just the the amazing uh effects of his direction in basically you know a crappy bbc studio that he's able to put together it's amazing
1: so convincing that London Underground thought that they'd filmed on <laughs> their premises, you know. But I mean, I mean, if you ever need the endorsement as a director mm. for them to accuse yeah. you of actually going on location when you've managed to make a studio look like a genuine location, like
0: yeah, quite right. Amazing.
1: And it's very interesting yeah. as well, just how much the location quotient has increased with each season. Um, because there's a lot on location in this story, isn't there? Like unusually, so I'd say for Doctor Who in the sixties.
0: Yeah, but you're right. Season six has a lot of it. Obviously, the war games <clears throat> yeah. they go to is a Brighton tip uh, where they uh, where they do a lot of the filming there. Um, we're in the quarry for the Dominators. And again, for um, the Crotons, we've obviously got a lot of London shoot here, uh, shoot as well here. So
1: Fabulous shots of the Ice Warrior coming over Hampstead Heath with the sun behind
0: him in Caesar Death. Absolutely. And and that's Michael Ferguson's trademark shot there, isn't he? He repeats it again with the the Ambassadors of Death. Uh, Fantastic. Iconic moment.
1: Other thing I think Douglas Canfield does not get enough credit for because he gets credit for um how expensive he makes it look, how dynamic he makes the stories look. Mm. I think he's incredibly good with actors as well. And he drives some of the best performances. And I, I mean, I'm talking about this, Kevin Stoney in this, um, some of the performances in Inferno, um, some yeah. of the performances in um, Seas of Doom. The performances of Julian Glover and, um, good grief, Gene Marsh in The Crusade, mm-hmm. like he, he he absolutely gets the best out of his actors. And that is, I, I always say Graham Harper is like the modern day
0: Douglas Canfield
1: in that he can direct with dynamism, but he also puts together a great cast.
0: Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree on all of those counts. And this is why Canfield is my favorite classic doctor who um, director. Um, it, there's there's nothing that he can't do. Um, he's able to get the you know the visuals, he's able to get the performances. He's able to cast magnificently. I mean, even to the point where he got John Levine spot on and he picked him out as yeah. basically the extras, uh, the extra um, in, in the background, right? Because the original Benton, who I don't think will ever will find out um, their identity, just proved to be unreliable. So I was just like, yep, here you go. But he you know, John is.
1: Levine's he was right. three best he was right. stories are this, Inferno, yep. and Terror of yep. the Zygons. Correct. And they're all the ones where Dougie Canfield's making him take it seriously and really give a good performance. You're absolutely correct. I Yep. Couldn't agree more. You get a, like an indulgent director who's just going to let them ask about like the time monster, and it's you know it's fun, but it's 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 on a different <laughs> level,
0: you know. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> I mean, and there's a lot of fun to be had with the the time monster if you take it for what it is in the Norton <laughs> terms. But well, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm forgiving of it. I'm I'm, I'm a sucker for the unit family, and I can, <clears throat> I can watch happily. But maybe it's the fact that that John Levine feels that he owes. Um, Camfield so much and so he gives so much in his performances in those stories
1: but it may be a bit disingenuous but I still think his best performance is as a yeti in The Web of Fear I mean he was incredible <laughs> in that honestly <laughs> um,
0: can you really difference between
1: the <laughs> <laughs> no not at all I'm just being I'm being <laughs> Um but like to put this in in sharp contrast imagine if Richard Martin
0: was directing this uh, no <laughs> i just actually can't imagine it um only because so much is required in this story uh, of a director that you couldn't possibly give it to to richard martin but you couldn't you couldn't even give it to i mean let's think about directors from other uh, other eras like ron jones ron jones would be incapable of mounting those um those shots it there's just that total yeah. flatness to to the, that directional style that just could not work in a fast-paced story like this that requires a lot of you know um action but also the, the sort of development of a pace that's that can only be yes. through film language and techniques that are not static you know that are absolutely you know dynamic and cut between different angles and shots and you know montages all of that kind of stuff it's, it's actually beyond a director like richard martin
1: I, in fact, what you're saying there, that the build-up of suspense, the momentum that builds up throughout this story, yeah. there's only one other director that I can say that does that, that. It's Graham Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, some people just know how to pace a story, don't they? Like, they, they, they can see the story as a whole, the structure of it. This is what's needed here at the beginning. This is what's needed in the middle. And my God we're going to have some excitement at the end.
0: And my, we've just talked
1: all over the cliffhanger and I'm so sorry. <laughs>
0: well, exciting cliffhanger, it just demonstrates what we were just talking about, the way in which that sort of frenetic activity is built up and then at the end, it's Packer with the gun. Uh, <laughs> drawing, drawing we, need, on out. Stephen, we need to talk about Packer in the next episode. <laughs> right,
1: and, and and the dynamic between Packer and Vaughan, which is extraordinary. <laughs> Um, so um at the end of that uh, i just want to ask you one question how was your foray into uh, an existing episode
0: uh I, I i still think i still prefer the anime
1: I've I've it, I've it, I've it, I've oh, I haven't got many, but I had to get a methanoid.
0: It's massive. Oh, it's the side
1: of my head. <laughs> Very cute. <clears throat> the thing is, I did, a, <clears throat> I did a video, my first video commentary the other day, right? Okay. And yep. it, was, it was the chase. And we did it, and we changed costumes every episode. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) for episode one, my guest came along. So he said, right, at the beginning of each episode, I'm not going to tell you. We'll end the call. I'll change and then do a live reaction to whatever I'm doing. So I was like, "Okay." so there's only one week. (laughs) So for episode one, he was he built his own cardboard box time and space visualizer. Um
0: oh, fantastic and he was he was inside it he was um, in. so i went
1: i went i went what's showing on the time and space visualizer today and he went well me obviously <laughs> i was like oh, yeah. <laughs> episode two he was an iridium so he wore a onesie and then put oh. this terrible like paint all over his face <laughs> um episode three what was he for episode
0: three You've got the photos to prove this, like to, to post with each of the episodes, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and it's a video commentary. So we did it. We recorded it all as a video. Wonderful.
0: Um, Wonderful. So I'm going
1: to put it up on YouTube. It's so funny. Episode three. <laughs> I'm trying to think. What was it for episode three? Oh, episode three was on the Mary Celeste. It came as a sailor. He had a sailor's outfit. Nice. E- yep. Episode oh, it' it's kind of hot, you know. Episode four. Um... Oh. It came as um, a haunted house of horrors mashup of Dracula and a mummy somehow. Fantastic. And episode five was the one with, that we planned because it was the duplicate doctor episode. So I came dressed as him uh, with, with red hair and he came dressed as me with like a beard. And so we would and we started the episode with him, him doing a dreadful impression of me going, oh, Ian and Barbara, are always fucking, and things like this. Like, this horrendous impression of me. And literally, halfway through the episode, when he's just, he's literally, um, you know, flogged that joke to death, I'm going, do you know, it's only when I'm actually seeing it face to face that that I realise how bad I am. (laughs) Let's consider this a, a form of extended therapy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and then for the last episode We both came dressed as Blue Peter presenters And we start the episode by going um, So, and here's how You can make your own mechanoid today <laughs> And then and then I end it um, By saying I certainly think that Doctor Who is in lots of trouble This week, and we're going to have lots of fun On Saturday watching it with. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm like, are people going to indulge This for six episodes? <laughs>
0: like... I I admire that So much. It was so much fun. It was ridiculously fun,
1: honestly. Okay, hang on. Let me just...
0: No, please don't rush.
1: It's very alarming, you know, to see yourself on the screen like that. (laughs) Mirrored back at you by Uh, someone else. Especially when it's a
0: parody of yourself. (laughs) That's a form of flattery.
1: Yeah, well, I've got my own back.
0: Because
1: it can be a bit dense sometimes. So you'll ask him a question on a commentary, and it takes him 10 seconds to think through his answer. So he's just like, just complete silence. So I just, every time he asked, <laughs> he kept going, well, I've got a question for you. I've got a question for you. Like that. So, so I was like, well, I'm just going to sit here and think about it for 10 seconds. Hang on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Honestly. Okay. Um bots. Well. hmm